Welcome to the JMD Podcast, a podcast dedicated to inherited metabolic disease. In the last three years, we've discussed screening, diagnostics, and all forms of therapies, and we've covered everything from alcaptonuria to X-linked ALD. So if it's IMD, it's probably in the JMD Podcast. If you're a fan, please follow, subscribe, or leave a review. But for now, settle in to hear about gene therapy and the mucopolysaccharidoses. Hello there. Now, it does seem that gene therapies are becoming a bit of a recurring theme in the podcast, but that's not really surprising given the potential they hold for metabolic disease. However, with the pace with which things are moving forward, sometimes it's nice to just pause and take stock of where we are. And that's exactly what we're doing today as I welcome Dr. Nicola Brunetti-Pieri of the Department of Translational Medicine, Federico II University of Naples, and the Telefon Institute of Genetics and Medicine, Italy, to discuss his recent review, Gene Therapies for Mucopolysaccharidoses. Nicola, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much, James. And before I begin, I just wanted to say thank you, because you're the first author to have recorded a video presentation for the journal. And in the podcast, I'm always able to thank my guests, but that wasn't possible then. So many thanks for getting the ball rolling there. You're welcome. So could we perhaps begin at the beginning with a very brief overview of what the mucopolysaccharidoses are? Yeah, so mucopolysaccharidoses, I will call them MPS for short, are uh, inherited lysosomal storage diseases. They are caused by deficiency of enzymes that are involved in the degradation of macromolecules. Some of these macromolecules are known as glycaminoglycans. Um, it's a relatively large group of different diseases. And the hallmark of all of them is the accumulation of undegraded materials within the lysosomes. And this occurs in uh, every cell types. However, although lysosomal enzymes are expressed in the vast majority of cells, Substrates that are accumulating uh, may be more cell and tissue specific. Therefore, there are um, MPS that primarily involve certain tissues uh, and cells, but there are others that are really multisystemic diseases in which the adored materials accumulate in lysosomes of virtually every cell types. So it largely depends on the, on the substrate that is accumulating. But again, most of the time, these are multisystemic diseases. They can have involvement of bones, livers, spleen, but also the brain may be affected. So they're obviously multi-system diseases. And I think what's interesting about this group of disorders is the, the variety of treatments that already exist. That's right. So here, most of the MPS are treated by some specific treatment based on providing the enzyme that is deficient. This can be done by basically two different approaches. One is a cell therapy-based approach, and the other one is based on uh, delivery of, of the enzyme. So the first approach, the cell-based approach, is basically uh, bone marrow transplantation. Uh, by the, the transplantation of bone marrow, we are providing cells, making them, secreting the enzyme that is functional. The enzyme and replacement therapy, it's based on delivery of the actual enzyme that is deficient. So one is delivery of the cell that is producing and secreting the enzyme, and the other approach is based on delivery of the actual enzyme. Both of them are based on the unique natural property that cells have of uh, uptaking lysosomal enzymes. So most of the cells in our body have a receptor on the cell surface that can internalize the lysosomal enzyme and deliver the lysosomal enzyme to the right place in the cells, which is the lysosomes. So this principle makes either bone marrow transplantation or enzyme replacement therapy effective. So that's 
what we have been doing, and obviously that hopefully lays the foundation for why gene therapy is needed broadly, and perhaps very broadly, this can be categorized into ex vivo and in vivo. Um, maybe this is going to sound like a really simple question, but what, what do you mean by ex vivo? Yeah, so the ex vivo approaches are taking out cells outside of the body from the patient, correct them genetically, and then infuse them back into the patient. So in a way, this is a, a sophisticated form of uh, bone marrow transplantation in the context of MPS uh, disorders. In vivo, gene therapy instead is the administration of the gene directly into the body. And this is typically done by using uh, viral vectors. We use the viruses that uh, have the natural property of delivering DNA sequences to target cells. Of course, the viruses uh, are modified in the laboratory in order to eliminate what is harmful from the virus, but retaining the natural capacity of these uh, microbes of transferring genes to target cells. So that's how these things work. What's the current state of play with the different mucopolysaccharidoses? Which, which ones have gene therapies in the pipeline? Uh, for the majority of the MPS, there are uh, preclinical studies that have been either completed or are ongoing, and there are also clinical investigation. Over the last uh, decades, mucopolysaccharidosis became attractive targets for gene therapy for a number of reasons. But one of the major reasons why they are interesting as targets is based on that principle that I explained before. So the capacity of cells to uptake the lysosomal enzyme. So you can have cells that are either corrected genetically outside of the body by ex vivo gene therapy or directly in the organism by in vivo gene therapy that are making the enzyme that is functional secreting the enzyme, and that enzyme can be uptaken for cross-correction of cells that are not genetically corrected. So that, that's the advantage of uh, MPS as uh, target uh, diseases. And for this reason, that, again, there is lots of effort for moving further this uh, gene therapy for MPS by many different types of approaches. And these efforts are ongoing preclinically and clinically. In the paper, you mentioned some specific examples. Obviously, people who are listening can go and look at the paper, but you highlight the specific ones that are current targets. I appreciate almost all of them seem to be targets, but where is where is the most progress being made? Well, I'd like more to talk about the general principle of the gene therapy. And in fact, we decided in the review to provide more on the background information to give the reader the, the tools to critically read the ongoing efforts. With so much effort going on on NPS, our um, list of disease targets is going to be outdated in a few months. However, the principle, I think, will be still valid, at least for a few years. And we try to spend more time in the review highlighting the strengths and weaknesses of each of the approaches, whether it is ex vivo or in vivo, rather than focusing on mentioning all the ongoing efforts. And now you look at the ex vivo gene therapy, and of course, there are limitations based on the timing. For example, one of the major limitations is that you need to intervene very early in the disease course, sometimes even pre-symptomatically, to have good clinical outcomes. And of course, this is a challenge because most of these patients are diagnosed when it's already too late for a pre-symptomatic intervention. There are challenges with the in vivo gene therapy related to the vector dose. 
to the uh, transduction of the brain. But there are, of course, also strategies that have been under investigation to solve all those uh, issues. And again, for this reason, I think it's better to focus on uh, strengths and weaknesses of the approaches that are then applied to the different uh, diseases. And naturally, there is cross-contamination between the different groups. So, so things that we learn from one or more diseases can be helpful also for, for others. So I think the field is all growing because uh, of these multiple efforts. I suppose that's useful for both those working in research, but also those reading the research, because there's so much excitement for the potential of gene therapy. And it's just being able to critically understand how well these studies are, are working and, and how how readily we can look at progress in one area and translate it into other areas. Of course, there are some of the diseases like MPS1, MPS2, in which uh, the ex vivo approaches are uh, providing very encouraging results, but there are also other MPS in which the in vivo approaches have shown sustained expression of the therapeutic lysosomal enzyme over time for months or years. So overall, there are multiple efforts ongoing and with very encouraging results. At some point, the challenge is going to be to compare the different approaches between each other uh, and to to draw conclusions on which one is the, the most attractive. And this is going to be a challenge because the, sometimes the tr- different trials are difficult to compare between each other because they have uh, different inclusion and exclusion criteria. The approaches are, are a bit different. Sometimes uh, even when uh, the same type of approach is used, uh, there are multiple studies ongoing with different routes of administration. And therefore, the comparison may be difficult. However, I think the, the good news is that there are multiple efforts ongoing and uh, many of these treatments that are still under clinical investigations are showing encouraging results. So at, at the end of it all, is it a bit like the sort of the DVD versus Blu-ray or the Betamax versus VHS? What will decide the gene therapy that perhaps insurance companies choose to reimburse or national health services choose to fund? Because the difficulty is they may not agree to do all of them and we have to settle on one. What, what are the... The factors is it going to be purely based on cost, or will it be on longevity or acceptability? What what will decide who wins the race, as it were? Yeah, James, that's a great question, but it's a difficult uh, answer, of course, and it's going to take lots of effort to figure out the best treatment uh, for that specific patient. Because it could well be that there are um, different treatments uh, with different potential and different benefit according to the age of the patient and the stage of the disease. And the figuring out all those uh, differences uh, for uh, the purpose of reimbursement, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be a real challenge. Of course, all the you know, treatments have to be balanced with the existing treatments. And all existing treatments have limitations. Whether you are considering bone marrow transplantation or enzyme replacement therapy, they have definitely uh, limitations. And the gene therapy is providing evidence that uh, there is uh, improvements over those existing treatments. I suppose that kind of brings me to the last thing I wanted to ask about. We often talk about the word odyssey in rare disease. We know that it can take a long time to find a diagnosis. And whilst treatment has clearly come a long way, I think possibly it still has a very long way to go. Where do we go from here? What is the future direction for this kind of research? Yeah, so you're right. There has been odyssey with the gene therapy field as well. The gene therapy field started not more or less uh, not the beginning of the year 2000. And then at the beginning, there was lots of skepticism. 
There were lots of problems that need to be solved. And it, it has only been like five, uh, ten years ago that we started seeing really uh, the potential uh, of gene therapy into the clinic. So it has been really an odyssey for gene therapy to move uh, you know, up to what we are seeing now in the clinic. And you know, there's still lots of things to be done to optimize the gene therapy and to find the right approach for the right patient at the right time. However, this progress had been made. There is no doubt about that. And the gene therapy is progressively becoming a treatment for a few uh, genetic diseases, but it's going to be a treatment for more and more diseases in the, in the future. That, that's for sure. You've mentioned that obviously we've seen it becoming a treatment option for diseases, so it is genuinely available for some conditions. Does that allow us to predict timelines from from bench to bedside in terms of where we go from an animal model to it being available? If we look back at those examples from SMA and MLD, you know, or, or do we expect things will move quicker, or is it just entirely condition dependent? I do really think that it's going to be moving faster in the future because. Uh, it's always difficult to get everything approved and up and going for the very first uh, diseases. But the, the work done by those early trials, it's making uh, the work for other diseases faster. That's for sure. Because many of these approaches are using the same vector platform, for example. There is much more knowledge now in terms of safety and efficacy of that particular uh, vector platform. And that knowledge is definitely making the decision of moving into clinical trial faster. So you know, overall, if uh, in the past it was taking 10 to 15 years to move from mice to human, and we will see that I think the time now is going to be much, much shorter if we are using a similar approaches. And if it's quicker and easier, does that mean it'll be cheaper? No, not necessarily. No, not necessarily. And that's an issue, definitely. Access to treatments with some of these treatments costing lots of money, it's going to be a major issue. And then uh, there is lots of work that needs to be done in that context because we don't want to spend so much energy, so much time in developing the treatments that may not be available to the larger proportion of patients with uh, uh, with that specific need. So that's something that uh, as a community we should work to avoid. Mm. And obviously, it's heartbreaking for the families who take part in those trials, and then the drug is not available at the end of it all. Absolutely, yeah, that that, that is a issue, and, and again, that's a work that has to be done as a community at a level of the scientists, of course, the clinicians, the patients, focus group, uh, or regulatory agency, and government, of course, that are making decisions on products to be available to patients. Well, just as gene therapy comes around again and again, I suspect that's a topic that will come up more and more as well. So if you would like to read Nicola's paper, please click on the link in the podcast description, or you can go to the journal web pages and search for gene therapy in mucopolysaccharidosis. Nicola, thank you once again for speaking with me. Uh, you're welcome, James. And thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.